0: Welcome to IDGen episode two, the week of April 9th,
1: 2022. Episode two, we already made it. I'm uh, Hunt Fry and we got uh, my co-host Zach Wolf over here and excited to get back and talk to everybody. It's been another wild and crazy week. I guess it always is. We were worried at first that we wouldn't
0: have, we wouldn't be able to find enough wild stories each week to talk about and
1: this is already proving us wrong here. That's true. That's true. Every week. Yeah, I actually think we have more of trouble cutting out and figuring which ones we don't want to talk about or don't understand enough to talk about yet. So that's, that's wild. So what, what, what's what happened this week? Zach, we've
0: got a lot going on. Do a quick update on the Ronin bridge attack. Sky Mavis raised more than $150 million to reimburse hacked funds. Uh, The round was led by Binance. Looks like uh, paradigm a 16 and others also contributed this is raising questions around the centralized bailouts of Web3 protocols or applications DAOs, and you know the underlying questions that are also still looming for Axie is the sustainability of the overall play-to-earn model. So, how Axie is going to emerge from all this, I would really be interested to see. Additionally, we've got movement on the hacked funds. Uh, $3 million moved to some public addresses or so, $3 million USD worth. And then we did see, it looks like, three 100 ETH transactions moving into Tornado Cash.
1: Wow. I mean, like, that, that's tiny for compared to how much ETH got hacked. But uh, this story is just wild. We're just going to have to keep updating on it because I feel like it's unfolding in front of our eyes. And it's like, we're not going to know what really happened in the full truth and details for weeks to months now, which is an eternity in crypto land. It's true, and you know the
0: small amounts to tornado cash. It leads to our ongoing conversation about how difficult it is to launder money in crypto. Yep. So smaller amounts can be handled more easily, but large amounts.
1: Yeah, totally. I've been excited to get over here and talk to you about the the Seven Lapses Group. Packer arrested. These guys. Okay, so the Lapses Group generally more connected
0: to online extortion, the InfoSec community, I think, has been tracking these guys for, for quite a while. A lot of them considered them to be kind of more on the script kitty side. However, you know, recently with some of these big uh, companies they've attempted to extort, they've made a lot of noise and caught a lot of people's attention. So it looks like somewhere before April 2nd, one of the hacking partners of the main guy, one of the main guys in the in the crew,
1: Doxed him. Snitch. We got a snitch.
0: So maybe not a direct snitch, but a dox by former team members put him out there. I believe this was in the UK that they caught him, although I've read that the group was based out of South America. The reason that I wanted to touch on this, not only did they confiscate I think about 15 million in crypto from the guy, <clears throat> I think. Uh, but these were also this was also the group that attempted after I believe phishing Nvidia, they attempted to extort them and tried to convince them to pull the GPU crypto mining blockers
1: off. What, and what they tried to convince NVIDIA to do that?
0: Yeah. So they, they hacked into their network and then extorted them, threatened them, and said, you know, hey, you gotta remove these these uh crypto mining blockers Uh, from your gpus wow that's pretty ballsy (laughs) you know ballsy stupid like i don't understand (laughs) how they thought this was going to work when you find out that it looks like most of them are between the ages of 16 and 21
1: wait 16 and 21 i was like you know running around riding my bike and these kids are stealing 15 million dollars i was i was into the wrong stuff wow
0: yeah. Right. Well, w- without some life lessons under your belt, maybe it made sense to them. We're we're gonna see how this one plays out. It looks like a lot of them. I think were actually released on bail. They're minors. You know, the guy that was doxed is, is obviously um, out there. White or breach base, I think, was the uh, one of the main dudes here behind it. So, an interesting story to keep tracking.
1: Wow. We're definitely. Uh... All of these things are going to be ongoing and unfolding because I can't wait to, to see the details come out about this one. Yeah,
0: major kind of like we're seeing the the crossover between traditional hacking and information security worlds and crypto. It's all kind of blending into one.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Well, I'm, I'm also I'm excited to uh, talk to you about the next one, too, uh, Zach. It's um, the the NFT heist it's the the bubblegum board ape heist it's I I love hearing about these things because it's wild that these people own these half a million dollar digital assets and are you know can somebody be tricked in pretty elementary ways into uh giving up their board ape or their crypto punk and it's it's pretty wild what what happened
0: yeah so you linked me on this one earlier in the week and it took me a couple days to dig in and check it out I Scratching my head here. So, board ape holder number uh, who goes by the the name S twenty seven. They traded their bubblegum ape. So, if you're not familiar, the board ape yacht club. I guess the particular bubblegum apes, are pre- perhaps more rare, very rare, very, very rare. rare. Okay, <laughs> um, and uh, two matching mutant ape derivatives. The important thing for for those not in the loop on the board ape yacht club is that this was five hundred. at floor price worth of NFTs. So there's three NFTs and they traded it willingly and voluntarily
1: Hmm. for an imposter for some imposter apes. Well, They they traded for somebody who like right click saved the ape and then they just made a trade as much as I hate to
0: admit it there, you know, this I have a whole spiel about how the right click save is a pretty (laughs) invalid criticism of NFTs. Uh, another time, maybe we can rant on that. But what happened in this particular case, you've got this Kiwi swap. And so it's like a third-party site uh, where individuals can
1: swap their NFTs. So direct to each each other's wallet. There's no, nothing in between them. That's that's probably where the danger zone comes in.
0: Right. And so the what went on here is that the attacker, they used a very... Very advanced tool called Photoshop. Wow. Yes. So what they did, um, there's a concept of needing to verify an NFT, right? OpenSea has like the blue check, I think, yeah, yeah for think a verified this, collection. I
1: think Twitter has a verification, a little diamond, Ethereum diamond in the corner. So, yep,
0: yep. Yeah. And this is complicated when it comes to NFTs because you're now, in some, in many cases, relying on a third centralized third party to handle verification. In the world of information security, there's always gonna be these loopholes and problems. So when you have teams like KiwiSwap, I don't know a lot about KiwiSwap and and I don't want to you know say anything negative about those who designed the protocol, but their system for verification was a green check mark overlaid on the image. Okay, wow. So this guy downloaded he right-click saved the uh, the bubblegum ape, and he simply photoshopped a green check mark on it.
1: Oh my gosh! And then what he just proposed uh- a trade to the guy of a, a ape that was probably worth more than his other ape, and they they did a person to person trade, and one guy's left with the the right-click save photo, and the other guy's got an NFT. That's it. Uh, now the thing that I think about with this is. The whole point of blockchains and and NFTs is that it's digitally verifiable on chain. Everything you can't fake it, you can't counterfeit it. So it just blows my mind that we're seeing such rudimentary counterfeiting. It seems like something that would happen in an elementary school playground, and we're seeing these these you know scams go off. And you know it's all digitally digitally verifiable on chain. But I guess it just shows kind of the level of. Um, You know what people know about their security and the technology. Who are holding these very expensive NFTs? It's pretty wild.
0: I think that there's a, a larger discussion here around sort of the evolution of crypto into mainstream. We're not we're in the early stages still. You know, now everyone's heard about it. A lot of people hold coins, but these these things need to get worked out. These type of issues, we have to get these worked out. If we're going to continue into mainstream. The general consensus from a lot of people now is that NFTs are scams, crypto is a scam. There's a lot of people that are pretty hell bent on that. And this is a perfect, I think this plays right into what they're saying. Don't trust, verify, right? That's the saying. And how, as a non technical user, can you verify without relying on a third party? It's not that hard to verify the contract yourself. However, you know, this person didn't take the time to do it or didn't know how. And my easy solution here is if you are not capable of completing some of those technical verifications
1: on your own, you shouldn't be trading more than you're willing to lose. Yep, definitely. It's risky. And the point that I want to make on that, too, though, is, you know, there's people who uh, fake real valuable physical art and try to sell it off to people and have it. And the person who owns a Picasso is probably not a trained, appraiser and doesn't know exactly what's real or fake so you know I, my argument to people who call everything as crypto as a scam is these scams take place with Rolexes they take place with uh, fine art and you know they happen all the time and it's just kind of part of a new industry that there's going to be some shady characters doing shady things and you know I hope when these stories get out that people will understand and less and less of it will happen in the future but I think it's just part of uh, collectibles in general that there's always going to be fakes and hopefully we'll have less you know know less of these in our, the crypto world and we'll have better verification but you know i think there's always going to be some some people who uh, make some poor decisions
0: i agree i think that the the counterpoint there is that there was a promise or hope that crypto blockchain w- was going to improve and make these types of things even you know potentially obsolete yeah it uh, still could it could and i think i think we're on track and this is a recurring theme that will probably be hitting various times i know it's going to come up later here when, when we get into the the really juicy inverse attack in a little bit but my thought is that each one of these things that happens is you know an opportunity to build back just a little bit stronger
1: and improve the overall strength and security of the system so we'll see We'll see. We'll get there. I think, you know, the, the next the next topic's really exciting me because, you know, I've only heard and read in theory about dark net markets. I've never, you know, really gotten deep myself. But, uh, yeah, the Hydra dark uh, dark net market got busted. And this is this is not a tiny dark net market. This is a big one. What do you what do you know about it, Zach?
0: World's largest dark net market by revenue. It's been around since 2015. Selling drugs, hacked materials, forged documents, illegal digital services, such as Bitcoin mixing, cybercriminals used to launder stolen or extorted digital coins. So you had all types of shady
1: stuff going on. Yeah, it's the deep, dark back alleys of the Internet.
0: The site was written in Russian with sellers located in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, and surrounding countries. Police say 17 million customers and more than 19,000 seller accounts were registered on the marketplace.
1: Wow, that's a lot. And really interesting timing that they're getting these busted right now with all that's going on with the conflicts over there. So that's uh, definitely something that I think about.
0: Yeah, German police seized the Hydra servers, confiscated 20 million euros in Bitcoin, uh, you know, 25.2 million USD. Hydra was seemingly impervious to police attempts to stop it. These guys were advanced. One of the interesting things I saw or read about this, Hydra specialized in same-day dead-drop services where drug dealers, you know, known as vendors on the platform, hide packages in public places before informing customers of a pickup location.
1: That's really localized. That's uh, normally I'm thinking you're getting mail with some shady package, but they're literally burying the package underground and giving you the coordinates after you pay. That's that's uh, pretty wild and, and
0: totally. So this one, uh, I think from the Verge, the market primarily caters to criminals in Russia and surrounding nations. Treasuremen or dealers connected with the site pushed drugs through the region by hiding them in geotagged pickup locations.
1: Crazy. That's just nuts. I'm just getting a mental image of of you know some tweaker out there who needs his fix, just digging with a uh, shovel and digging possibly in the wrong place. And what would you think about if you stumbled upon that guy? Right. What are these dudes out there digging in the middle of the night for?
0: Admittedly, I have not. I, I haven't kept up much on on dark net markets, but this one is especially fascinating. What a great name, Hydra. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of in your face, you know, cut us down and we're going to we're gonna come back for more. One of the articles, the uh, first article I saw on this was from Chain Analysis. And, of course, they're focused on uh, forensics. I believe they were involved in this investigation. There's another interesting element here that the Justice Department followed up by indicting one of Hydra's key operators and the U.S. Treasury Office's Office of Foreign Assets and Controls. Sanctioned Hydra adding more than 100 of its cryptocurrency addresses to the SDN list. So, you know, this is this theme that we're seeing here where sanctioned addresses are being added. Soon these APIs are publicly available so that different protocols and crypto websites can check to make sure that they're not interacting with these sanctioned addresses. It's it's the nature of a public blockchain in this context. It's just crazy.
1: Yet you still have people... babbling on mainstream media about how it's an anonymous and used by criminals it's like this is a perfect example of how it's horrible money to be used by criminals because once that wallet gets you know tagged and chain analysis is following it uh you're pretty pretty screwed for a while you know you got to get real creative then to get those funds off so you know elizabeth warren think about it elizabeth
0: warren if you're listening i know you are retire (laughs) uh one more piece on hydra 2021 hydra received more than 1.75 billion worth of cryptocurrency which accounts for over 75% of all darknet market revenue globally this is a statistic hunt you and i chatted about this a little bit ago i want to look into this i want to see you know you, you read these things where do they how do they arrive at these numbers now if if hydra was actually offering money laundering services specifically, right? You could see how that could elevate these numbers quickly. So, it it's a big number. It kind of gets gets that wow factor going. But I think it's really important to dig in more. And and with that, uh, what we need to do potentially, I, there's an opportunity for us to probably do an entire show on on this hydro topic once more information is available and and really dig in. You know, yeah. had their it, own mixing services. It it, it was really pretty interesting and stuff. why
1: those numbers could be so high is because they've been around since 2015 and like in the dark net world these markets come up for like three months six months like two years is like really long time so if they were functional for seven years like they might have had a large percentage of traffic especially if they were doing services other than you know hook and hold me up with a dime bag or a pill of ecstasy if they were washing money for like some serious people that they, they might have been a pretty used service so uh i definitely hope we can do an episode where we follow up all on this because this this kind of stuff really intrigues me we can dig into this mastermind, Dimitri Pavlov. Yeah, I'm a, I'm also like, I think the most excited to get your thoughts, Zach, on the, the inverse finance hack, because, you know, I think, you know, Zach is way more technical than I and he's got some history in DeFi and understands these mining pools and liquidity and all this stuff. And so all these big words for me. And so I'm excited that like I look at a hack like this and I would have had 10 questions for Zach anyway, so I'm excited to kind of go through this here and and hear what he thinks.
0: Yeah, so this will be our feature for today's episode, April 2nd, 2022, Inverse Finance attack. Before we dig into the hack itself, we'll talk a little bit about what Inverse Finance is. This is from their docs page. Inverse Finance is a community of cryptocurrency enthusiasts organized as a decentralized autonomous organization, Started on the 26th of December, 2020. Inverse DAO governs and develops a suite of permissionless and decentralized finance tools using blockchain smart contract technology. The code base is open source and maintained by the community. From the front page of their website, more of the marketing pitch side. Masters of the game of positive sum DeFi. Here at Inverse Finance, we're decentralized by design, moving past reckless, outdated systems towards a better solution, positive sum DeFi. We help you maximize your earnings via revenue sharing, accumulated high yields with sustainable APYs, and benefit from low-cost stablecoin borrowing. Okay, now on to the hack. Directly from the Inverse Twitter on that day, this morning, Inverse Finance's money market anchor was subject to a capital-intensive manipulation... Of the inverse ETH price, price oracles on Sushi Swap, resulting in a sharp rise of the price of INV, which subsequently enabled the attacker to borrow 15.6 million in DOLA ETH wrapped Bitcoin in YFI. There's a whole thread there. We'll have this all linked in our show notes. This is the DeFi world. This is this is where you're buying and borrowing, right? This is to me the most. Fascinating breed of attacks that exists in the world right now. Uh, these are, um, in this particular case, I think the subgenre is oracle manipulation, right? Uh, but I feel like the higher, th- there's still a, a, a missing term that to describe what these types of attacks are. Like I, I love this idea of calling them DeFi anti-pattern attacks, but I'm not sure that that's technically accurate. It's I feel like it sounds pretty
1: pretty cool but when i think about these hacks i think about like human versus robot because it's kind of like this really smart hacker human is trying to outsmart the smart contracts and these you know DeFi and decentralized lending protocols am i right on that
0: okay you're you're dead on in this particular case there's a specific in this time (laughs) no i mean like this particular case there's a certain element of the hack where in order for it to be successful the attacker literally was battling robots. So, you know, 15.6 million is not a huge amount in the world of crypto hacks. I think it's the complexity and the style of this one that make it so fascinating and interesting. We don't know yet who the attacker is or attackers, but, um, you know, why don't we why don't we dig in here and tell me more and kind of walk through what happened. Wrecked news that's uh, rekt.news excellent source for information on these DeFi attacks a professionally executed hack allowed an anonymous actor to manipulate the price of inv help themselves to an exclusive deal from the eth based lending protocol yeah, okay so we talked a little bit about that so that's the basics high level so let's walk through step by step what they did and we can get a better understanding of, of how this crazy oracle manipulation attack was carried out. So the first thing they did was they deposited, I'm sorry, they withdrew 901 ETH from tornado cash.
1: So this is not some 16-year-old in his basement. This is a, a well-funded person or group. Hey,
0: listen, this day and age, we can't count out 16-year-olds <laughs> from from having, you know, large fortunes. You're right uh there is an interesting there's definitely an interesting digression on this first point but i'm going to save that till the end what we know then from this first step is that they're starting with mixed coins this is a step up from the ronin bridge attacker who was using accounts that were directly connected to kyc exchanges so we've we're seeing you know a little bit of forethought so we've got if you're not familiar with tornado cash that means the coins that were used to initiate this attack came through a mixer that allowed the attacker to most likely erase the trail of where the coins came so, from. So they're washed. They're clear.
1: They're, right. You can't trace them back.
0: Yeah, there are exceptions to that depending on how they use tornado cash. But for the most part, that's a safe assumption.
1: So tornado cash is a service or a protocol that just, you know, you pay a little bit of money and they wash this? I've never used it. What, what is it all about?
0: It's a decentralized... Uh, mixer basically okay. on Ethereum uses zero knowledge proofs. Really fascinating. Again, so many of these things. like we could do a whole episode on Tornado yeah. Cash. I, I did actually. I used it quite a bit when they had this liquidity mining. It was it was insane rewards. It was it was really interesting to test out. And I would love to talk more about that another time. We're starting with these mixed coins. Nine hundred and one ETH on comes out of Tornado Cash. Now what they did is they transferred one point five ETH. 241 clean addresses using a tool called disperse they deployed five different smart contracts of which only one was real i don't understand where the contracts come in and why only one was real at this point but the main point of this second step of the attack is that they were prepping for a later step where they were going to spam when we talked about them battling the botnets Battling the bots. Yep. This was the preparation step. So they lined up 24 different addresses with 1.5 ETH each, right? Now, step number three. They took the remaining ETH, 500 or so, and they swapped it for 1.7,000 inverse. They did that through the inverse wrapped ETH pair on SushiSwap. Okay, so... This is where this is where the oracle manipulation begins. So they took 500 ETH and they bought 1.7 thousand inverse on SushiSwap. And you, you've used you know decentralized exchanges before. Yeah, definitely. So if you trade large amounts, depending on the amount of liquidity there, you got that slippage. The slippage can dramatically increase or decrease the price. Now, in this particular case, there was like a 50x change because of the low amount of liquidity. So this, in the immediate stage, the attacker is way down. They've just dropped the price. They bought so much of an asset, right, that they they offset the pool and they're underwater. They're not in good shape. This would have been a terrible trade. Uh, however, this was the initial step or the, the initial part of manipulating the oracle. They've got the oracle manipulation underway, step four, at the same time, he began spamming transactions with an exploit to be the first to get into the next block and get an inflated price. I don't understand why there was an exploit. It seems to me like it would have just been spamming transactions.
1: When you say spamming transactions, that's just sending transactions over and over again to kind of confuse or disrupt what's going on. So we've got 241 addresses from that first step. Oh, wow.
0: Right? Where he sent the 1.5 ETH. Each one of those addresses now is firing off transactions in an attempt to get first into the block. So the more transactions, you know, a single Ethereum block can only hold so many transactions, depending on what is inside those transactions, you know, the, the computational uh, resources needed. And so he's, he's filling up, he's attempting to kind of fill up the block to ensure that he gets in there. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, as I understand it, this step is essentially part of you know, this is the bot battle. He's trying to beat the other bots. So when this price disruption occurred with the invo- uh, inverse coin on Sushi Swap, other flash bots all over the Internet are looking constantly for opportunities like this to emerge, where on Uniswap, the inverse wrapped ETH price, you know, it, it was probably still normal. Oh. So as soon as it went out of whack on Sushi swap, you have all these other bots that are gonna immediately act on that opportunity and, and try to take advantage of
1: it. And the hacker knew this. So the hacker's planning that these bots are out there and it's all part of his elaborate scheme. Exactly. Wow. Yeah,
0: and that's where it's like it just this is just I mean it's brilliant. It's just, someone has an incredibly deep understanding of you know minor extractable value, MeV, uh, flash bots, Because the Inverse Finance Oracle, uh, which was done through the Keeper Network, ended up using SushiSwap as an Oracle to return the price, it made the Inverse token on the platform incredibly expensive. So now you remember earlier in step two – sorry, step three, where he bought – he spent 500 ETH to get that 1.7 Inverse, right? Yeah. Well – Now that the price has been manipulated in his favor, he goes back, he deposits his 1.7K inverse, which had a fair price at the current time of $644,000. He deposits that as collateral. The price is inflated and he borrows. And I guess this is a feature of the inverse protocol. You can permanently borrow. He permanently borrowed. $15.6 million against that what should have been, you know, $644,000 worth of collateral. Wild. He gamed the system. Yeah. I mean, it's just
1: brilliant, you know. It it really is. This, you know, I ask you this all the time, but uh, I love it. Like on a scale of one to 10, how how elegant is this hack? 10 being, you know, insanely genius and smart and one being a bait and switch of an ape. So I,
0: I feel like with this one, I, I need to get my rating scale better. I'm gonna go with a nine because I I feel like oracle manipulation is a thing, right? We we've seen this before. It's not the first oracle manipulation attack. So in that regard, it's 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 not like I feel like we I have to reserve a ten for just something you know completely new. But I'm going all the way to nine because the the forethought, you know, that was put into this. And battling the MEV bots and the flash bots in order to successfully pull it off—crazy.
1: The hacker was just thinking ten steps ahead and just you know knowing how everything was going to react. It almost to me was like, is was this an inside thing? Did somebody have you know a ton of knowledge of this inverse and, and the protocol and how it all worked? And did they see their their chance and just take it, or or you know was this a totally outside hacker who's just watching and we'll we'll never know? We
0: probably won't. It'll be very interesting to see in the next five to 10 years. I think it'll be a while, but I bet that in time, some of these, we're going to learn more about some of these attacks. One of the things that I thought was especially interesting about this attack 901 ETH coming out of Tornado Cash. Okay. This was not a guarantee. So he took the first uh, 300 or so ETH, right? To spam those accounts or to yeah. set up his spam accounts, the 241 accounts. And then he used that 500 ETH to buy that inverse in, in, you know, massive slippage immediately at a loss. Is this confidence? Is this risk tolerant? Like, you know, it's hard to say, but I guess we, we could speculate on where he got the funds. I mean, if, if two if two million dollars USD worth of ETH isn't a lot of money to you, right? Like this could have been you know, what if he's already hacked this money from somewhere else and he's just like, Fuck it, let's keep let's keep flipping this. I you or, know, I don't know. Or
1: he's well funded by a, a group that's nefarious and is bad actors and trying to figure out these exploits and you know, the hackers the the genius, but he's a well funded group and they're like, Yeah, we'll we'll risk, you know, nine hundred ETH if we're gonna, you know, make out with a lot more than that. So yeah, that's, that's pretty wild to think about.
0: Yeah. Right. The risk, worst reward. So this isn't a guarantee. It wasn't like, Oh, if I had 901 ETH, I could totally have done this. It, I don't think that I, I'm fairly certain. This was not you know, guaranteed to work. The other part about this is that there's an ongoing discussion on these types of attacks. And some of one side of the, the fence is kind of like code is law. They're these sort of Ethereum Classic extremists that you know think that you fork a chain, uh, you know, forking a chain because of an exploit defeats the entire purpose of
1: decentralization. Hey, I, I see their point. I kind of side with that. I'm, I'm not as far on that side, but I'm I'm almost there. So, so like in this case, do you feel like
0: this is fair game? He, all he did. She, all they did. Oh was take the system and make it work in a way that it wasn't intended.
1: Yeah, I do think it's fair game, and there's going to be casualties of hacks like this. But in the end, it makes everything stronger because I guarantee you the next DeFi protocol like Inverse is going to think heavily when designing their protocol to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. So if some things die off because you know we're very early stages in this technology, uh, the next things come stronger. I think that's all part of the natural evolution of this stuff.
0: I agree. I think this is, this is how we're going to get stronger. Some people looked at this. I read, I think a tweet about this where someone said like, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, this was like, we could have seen something like this coming, right? Oracle manipulation. So how is a, how is a protocol designer? Do you account for that on the front side? Who, who can you call to say, hey, can you audit this protocol and tell me if I'm susceptible to these wild DeFi anti-pattern attacks, y- you
1: know? You mean these genius hackers don't have LinkedIn's and websites talking about the genius things they've done? And you can call them up and say, can you pen test my protocol? You can't, you can't do that.
0: You know, I haven't seen it.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I was being sarcastic. I don't know. I don't know if these geniuses are ever going to want to be out in the open because they've all probably got some skeletons or hacks in their closet that they might want not to be resurfaced. So,
0: and we're, we're lucky for the white hats. We're lucky for the ones that are driven by a bit of, you know, s- some values. Uh, you know, we see some of these things that you know reported ahead of time.
1: Yeah, this yeah. is just fascinating. If a white hat reports it ahead of time, do they get a bounty still or do you like do, do they get rewarded for saying I could have stole 100 million dollars from you but I'm just going to tell you how somebody could have done it? I feel like that's worth, you know, 5 5 million. Yeah, yeah, there there's bounty
0: programs and they don't always go well. It's a slippery slope. You know, when we think about the economics of hacking, the incentives are certainly aligned financially on the Black Hat side. Another thing that interests me about this, that got me thinking about on this inverse attack, let's say that 900 ETH didn't work. or Let's say the Oracle manipulation didn't work. We wouldn't be talking about this. We probably wouldn't have heard about it. There might have been a thread or two on Twitter where someone was like, look at this idiot. They yeah. just
1: accidentally traded... Right, So you're saying maybe 10 of these could happen a week that don't work and we don't hear about and we hear about the one successful one.
0: That's what I'm thinking is, wow. is
1: I'm wondering about some of
0: those wild posts you see when you're like, oh, my God, look what they just they just made this insane trade. And, you know, did they fat finger it? Why on earth would someone do that? What if those were early stage attempts at these multi level complicated DeFi attacks that didn't work out? That blows my mind. This has been a really fun week. We're glad to have you guys, our early listeners. We're having a good time with this. We really appreciate your feedback. So much fun.
1: We we would be doing this anyways. We just started recording it. So it's been a lot of fun. So anybody's listening, we appreciate you.
0: Yeah, and idgen.fm, we're still working on a lot of the details around it. We're working on our format
1: let us know what you think you got ideas guests you want to come on the show and talk about some crazy stuff let's let's hear from you so uh yeah i'm sure we'll have our contact info in the notes and uh i'm excited to see what kind of wild and crazy stuff we fall into for next week
0: yeah thanks for the links this week hunt and i'm looking forward to another five insane stories seven days from now (laughs) we'll see you next time thanks zach
1: bye later ID Gen now, you hear?
0: Wait, mixing things up, getting ready to post, and I noticed a couple quick things I just wanted to correct. The Lapsus group I had mentioned was extorting NVIDIA. I read a little bit more into that. I found a great article. And just to correct that, it was really more of like blackmail, and they were trying to blackmail them with some documents that they had stolen from them into open sourcing their GPU drivers. So similar end result. Probably the open source drivers could then be modded for crypto mining. Wanted to correct that. And one other little, probably less important note. I don't know if the Bumblegum Ape Scammer actually used Photoshop. I'm just throwing that out there. Later.